Steve, happy Tuesday afternoon. How are you, my man? Good, good, man. Been holding down the fort while you're off on vacation, frolicking around in meadows. So. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I hope you got some calls yesterday after we encouraged folks to bug you. We did, man. We did. I actually right. enjoyed uh, enjoyed um, talking to everybody. It's fun. Fun to chat and BS about hunting. It's like a pack question and then four or five gear questions after that, you know, a handful of times. So it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I uh, yeah, just got back home from camping for three days with the family. So getting back to the the digital world and work and all that good stuff. But man, we had a good time getting away. It's getting out there. It was like, ah, nothing's going on in the world, you know, just like you and your family and wide open spaces and good times. It was a nice little kind of mental break, if anything. Mm, nice. Yeah. Nice. Found, yeah. Found some small mouth, found some morels, like all the, all the highlights of spring, man, we had it. That's cool, man. Yeah. I'm hoping to get out uh, here with my family for the weekend, go out at least for a night, you know, take the trailer out, go straight from our house out in the middle of nowhere. We're not going to be in touch with anybody, and yeah, yeah. it'd be nice. Looking have they, forward to it. it. I guess we'll get into Idaho shutdowns here in a second, but have they shut down certain uh, like public land, state land, any of that type of stuff? Like, are you guys able to go camp, I guess? Uh, you know, I'm, I, to be honest with you, I don't know. Gotta I look. haven't looked. <laughs> I don't think anyone's – I mean, they're, they shut it down to all non-essential travel, so they're saying stay home. Yeah. Um, obviously, if I'm you know leaving from my house straight into the – you know, middle of the woods. I'm not endangering anybody else. Um, so I, I feel fine with that. Right. Um, if, uh, but yeah, I imagine, I know there's, I've heard people like they sure don't want you to like leave Boise, drive up North to McCall, go to the grocery store, go to the gas station, yeah. you know, and, and get up there and spread it, catch it, whatever. Um, but yeah, so for me, if I'm just straight out my door up into the mountains, you know, I don't think there's a, a better example of social distancing that you could possibly do. Yeah, for sure. One thing they did uh, kind of shut down in Idaho was non-resident tag sales, hunting, fishing licenses temporarily. Um, this was news that broke basically just before I left town. We were chatting a little bit about it, but uh, yeah, fill listeners in if they didn't hear about it. Maybe kind of chat through your thoughts on the implications of that. Oh man, it's scary crap to me. Uh, I mean, I think last what last Friday is when they shut down Alaska, shut down resident and non-resident bear hunting. And then there must have been some serious blowback because within 24, 48 hours, they opened it back up to residents. Um, and I can understand Alaska in the sense that, like we talked about, flying into some remote village um, with poor hospital facilities and things like that. And if you flew in there and were someone who's like asymptomatic and spread it, that, that would do some legit um, damage to those small towns. So, um, But in Idaho, you know, I mean – I guess they're just trying to shut down travel and I, I, yeah, I get it. Um, but it scares me that if they're willing to do non-residents, are they, you know, how far away are they from some seriously, are they talking about it right now? Are they, it's not even on the table to shut down resident hunting. That would, uh, that would suck. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, from the sounds of it, they didn't, if you're non-resident and you've already bought your tag and license, you're good. But if you, they won't allow you to buy one, you know, as of today, um, so, uh, yeah, it's a bummer. I guess you've got your, uh, tag and wolf tag. You could come out here and wolf hunt, but no bear hunting for you. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got my license <laughs> and wolf tag. And I mean, this is explicitly in there said that it didn't affect deer and elk, at least obviously for now. And even controlled hunt applications would still happen. So I think reading it and hopefully 
I'm not just being optimistic here, but it's not going to affect the fall. Um, obviously, it does have big implications even for the spring. But, you know, it's moving into the fall, thinking of deer and elk. Hopefully those opportunities are still there. Or, uh, yeah, that's going to affect me and a whole, a whole bunch of folks for sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll be scary times, man. It's interesting what's going to happen. And I, I, yeah, I guess we'll see. My guess is it's all opened back up and everyone's hunting and, and out of state by come September, August, you know. But um, as we learn more about this and better gear up for it, have the hospitals ready for when there are, you know, an influx of patients and breakouts, then we'll have the just better understanding of everything and, and open it back up so people are more aware of the risks. And like you and I talked about prior, like you're supposed to come out here at the end of June with your daughter and, you know, that may, maybe it means you just wear a face mask on the airplane and accept, you know some risk just like every day when you jump into your car that you could get into an accident, right? Like, um, just take some precautions and I think that's going to be the new normal for the next year. We'll see. Wow. Let's, uh, let's talk about bears for those who can bear hunts. We actually had uh, a question come in looking specifically for advice on spot and stock bear hunting for this spring. So not bait, just spot and stock. That makes me think of a couple things. Uh, and this actually this listener did mention he listened to these episodes, but number 115 is a really good one um, with Douglas Bowes. It's called No Bait, Just Bears, Black Bear Hunting Tactics. There's another great podcast we did early on with Russ Meyer about bear hunting. Um, so those are two great, you know, comprehensive resources to dive into. Um, but from your perspective, Steve, specifically on spot and stock for someone who's trying for the first time, what are those few things that kind of pop into mind that you would just encourage them with? Yeah, did he specify bow or rifle? Did not. Okay. Bow, like, don't even go. That's that's impossible. <laughs> There's good advice. <laughs> I tried, like, oh, man, back when um, the early days of when I was doing SNS archery and my wife was doing grad school in Oregon, um, you know, I had more, times on my, more time on my hands than I could ever ask for. And I, there was, like, two years in a row where I tried, I think I hunted one year, like, 35 days spot and stock archery bear and the next year was like 20 something days uh and never could kill a freaking bear spot and stock with a bow um i don't know if that's a testament to i suck as a hunter or they're just that freaking hard to get done uh but solo uh without a spot or th- this problem with archery is if you find them it's not like a, a mule deer that you're gonna sit there in bed and glass and when you when you do see them they're on an opening and they're up and feeding and then Basically, you've got to just hope they stay in that little patch of green that they're feeding in while it takes you, you know, an hour or two hours to get down across the canyon and up to them uh, and hope the wind holds. I mean, there's, it's a freaking tough hunt. Um, I've had a couple I had a couple close calls during those years. Actually, I did shoot one once that uh, feel like I made a great shot and he ran like 800 yards into the biggest nastiest side of them out and there's a brush pile and I, I, we looked for two or three days and can never find them but different story um so yeah well that's tough rifle fairly easy hunt you can shoot five six hundred yards find some country that's um broken up you know yeah i think you're gonna have a good chance so there's a lot of places in a lot of states um in the spring bears are you know just out and about so my general rule is they are very private um they don't like people they don't you know like you need to find a place that's completely like no no trail you know no road no four-wheeler no noise um and that's where i've i seem to have a good luck spotting bears right where they feel comfortable 
to come out and feed in the middle of the afternoon. They'll come out at 6, 7 p.m., you know, two hours before the sun sets and start feeding. Uh, if You know, I, they, they can live in places that are more populated, but I think they're just, you know, extremely private in those uh, situations. So, yeah, for me, it's just one of those, like, um, jump on Onyx and use their little app that shows, um, I think it has, like, a, it's kind of like a roadless. Yeah, um, roadless layer. Layer, yeah, that, like, I would legit look at those and then look for um, south-facing hillsides. They're going to green up first and uh, and then places that, yeah, away from people and then and get in there. So it's a general rule, you know, two to three miles minimum. Uh, and just absolutely no trails, no roads, no human activity. And, you, you know, you should be all right. So um, snow-wise, uh, the, there's a perfect time to hit it when you want to go once the snow's melted and things are starting to green up. Um, but also if you go too late, say like, you know, May 15th and on, once all the, the, the bushes and shrubs start popping leaves, then all of a sudden, you know, they get really hard to find because they could, they could be in an open area. But uh, you can't find them. So you want to hit that sweet time when um, the grass is green, but the bushes don't have leaves on them yet. Uh, that's been my best luck spotting and finding bears. Um, and it's tricky. Man, it's tricky. Yeah. Especially if you get, and you got sows with cubs that can be concerned about. Like there's, uh, There was one and during those years. There's one hunt where I spotted a big old bear, you know, far enough away that you couldn't really get a, a good idea what it was. But, you know, dude was just big get all the way over there, sneak over, poke my head over. And it was like 57 yards away. It was like within bow distance, you know, like getting ready to make a shot. And then all of a sudden cubs pop out of the brush. You're like, Oh crap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can't shoot that one. Um, so that's a, it's a whole nother thing you got to be worried about, you know, half the sows have cubs with them. So, uh, pay attention to that. You can't just see a bear and shoot it. You got to see it, uh, watch it for a while, make sure there's nothing around, you know, you don't want to be shooting a sow with cubs. So, um, an extra layer of complexity there. Yeah, good info, man. I guess that's my general rule. Yeah, I know I'll be um, April fifteenth. It opens up here in Idaho. Assuming we can still go, my I'll be up there hunting, getting out of town, getting some fresh air. I know. Um, and that'll be rifle hunt. We have a rifle related question. Um, guy was asking what kind of bullets we got that we hunt with, and whether or not we are they concerned about killing an animal with a lead bullet, and then potentially feeding contaminated meat to our families. So basically that whole lead versus uh, solid copper, specifically on the safety side of meat. Um, And then he talks a little bit about performance, uh, said he read some studies that make him worry about the issue, and also that copper bullets are just as effective as lead when shooting moderate distances. Um, Let's start with that. There's kind of a, a part two to this, but do you ever, have you ever thought about going copper only for the meat aspect of it? I have ne- never even crossed my mind. Okay. Um, I have no, yeah, I'm not an expert on that. I don't know if, if you are or not, but. Um, I'm not, I'm not an expert thought... at anything. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Um, we had the discussion on bullets before of, um, you know, I'm, you know, admittedly very new to rifles. Just been a couple of years here, but to me, just like arrows, I want penetration over just initial damage. Um, just for basically for blood trails, uh, you want your two, two holes, holes coming out of it. Yeah. Um, so I guess it depends on how the lead belts bolt, right. Or built, but, mm-hmm. uh, the solid copper ones I think can hold up pretty stinking well, like the barns. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, so he talks about um, them being just as effective at moderate distance, I guess, to get into the part two, which is more on the performance. He said, also, is it even possible to hunt at longer ranges with non-lead ammo? It seems like all the high VC and accurate bullets that everyone uses are lead core, like Burger and Hornady, um, and no one's shooting long distance with um, with copper only. I think there's two things one to that, uh, two main things to that on distances. Um, yes, BC is a big part of that. So, you know, Burger, Hornady, whatever is going to have higher BC in general. Um, but the other one, the, the main one to keep in mind as you look at going copper only is um, the minimum uh, velocity needed to get the expansion and performance that you're looking for is just going to be much higher with copper uh, than it is um, with some of those other types of projectiles. So if you're looking at um, long range specifically, and then obviously you're losing velocity over that range, there can be, a, you know, it six, seven, eight hundred feet per second difference in what is recommended between the minimum impact velocity for optimal performance with that copper versus lead. So, you know, you get some bullets down into, say, 13, 1400 um, minimum performance on the lead side, whereas the copper stuff's going to hover up around 2000. And those are just rough numbers. It's actually you kind of have to look at each bullet specifically because even in, I've looked at like even in the Barnes line, if you take one single bullet um, and even their, uh, like their tipped TSX, for example, they're going to have a different minimum velocity depending on which, um, which size and weight of the bullet. So you can't even just say it's general across the line. You really have to look at the specifics um, but that's a big reason you won't see them used as much for long range is that they just need higher impact velocities for performance. And, you know, obviously that doesn't correspond well with shooting at longer range. So BC is part of that. And then those minimum impact velocities for sure. Yeah. I remember uh, I was researching the Barnes bullet and on my PRC, you know, uh, like the little bit of data I could find, because even though it was like I think 127 grain bullet, it was like everyone was posting speeds the same as the 143 and he yelled the X. I was like, I couldn't figure it out. Right. I was like, this is a lighter bullet should, you know, should be going faster. And then from the, what I deduced is that the, the copper, um, because it's not as dense as lead, the bullet has to be bigger. So therefore it has to be seated down further into the bullet. Uh, so you're not, you can't get as much powder into there. So it was a pretty interesting, um, yeah, just kind of, you know, one of those things that's not blatantly obvious when you're just looking at a, a box of ammo and, um, but uh, you dive into it a little bit further, you kind of understand it. Yeah. And I would say, like, what you mentioned about the lighter weight bullet, that's actually super common that guys will shoot uh, a lighter weight solid copper because they have better weight retention in general. So you don't necessarily have to shoot as heavy of a bullet. Take, like, a take a thirty caliber, even, like, my thirty old 6, right? Like, it's pretty standard to shoot a 180. But if you start looking at the guys shooting copper, they're going to be shooting those 165s or even 150s because those those lighter weights have better weight retention. They can push them faster so they can try and maintain that impact velocity. So there, there's quite a few things to look at that, um, to look at there if you're interested. It, getting back to his question, I haven't been super concerned about lead and meat, but I have been, uh, especially now that I'm reloading, very interested in testing some of those options. I'm actually in the middle of that right now um, for exactly what he said, like at moderate distances, looking at something that gets really good penetration that has good solid construction um, that's going to hold together well you know 
the more I read about bullets, study about bullets, it's, it's interesting how, I guess like a lot of things, there's necessarily one perfect choice for every scenario. It's a matter of mm-hmm. your shot distances. It's a matter of your game. It's a matter of your placement. It's a matter of your goal. Like there's so much to it for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's I know I was researching, you know, like we said, I used the LDX last year and it wasn't, I mean, I think it's a great bullet, but it exa- wasn't exactly what I was looking for, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's so hard, like just so hard to find like a bullet that can do everything, you know, uh, you just, no matter what you're doing, you're making some concessions and, uh, there's just not going to be a perfect answer. Um, and the, and the reality is it's so easy to, to, to dive into, you know, I was using that shooter app on my phone and dive into the ballistics and what's the bullet doing it, you know, 800 yards, it's, you know, the, the 127 grain drops 10 more inches or, you know, you know, deflects five more inches in the wind. And, you know, when it comes to the reality of that is 99% of, of my shots are going to be, you know, under 400 yards and kind of steep mountain terrain with trees and, um, like all that stuff's probably pretty irrelevant. Like just getting down to how the bullet kills from 200 to 400 yards is, you know, the, the hands down, probably the best factor you need to be looking at. Yeah. Yeah, it is uh, that trend of like looking at just the highest BC and all that. Yeah. But then the the reality of what guys are actually shooting, um, both can shoot slash want to shoot slash should be shooting. I think there's a lot of variables right. that go into that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, actually, even for uh, like we've been talking, Steve, about potentially doing a moose hunt here that we've been planning or beginning to plan i mean a a solid copper came into my mind for that of like moderate distances on moose something that has really good weight retention good construction so uh, but that's that application and it can be completely different for another application so it's yeah it's it's fun i i'm enjoying that aspect of it now especially like that we're reloading and I have the ability to try all types of different things, um, see what my rifle likes and compare different, um, can dip different projectiles, all, all the different variables, right? Like it's, it can be fun. It can also be very overwhelming for sure. Yeah. Cool. Let's, uh, we got one more. This good question on pack weight for training. So this guy's in his mid forties, uh, says that he trains hard and each year he's been training more and more. He says he's been doing weighted pack hikes so far to date. The longest has been a 12-mile hike with 65 pounds of weight in relatively flat terrain. As spring progresses, I'm tackling rolling hills and working in elevation in the mountains as well. My biggest question is this. How much weight do you try to progress with and over what duration as you progress closer towards hunting season? I see multiple comments by older hunters that they have found a max of 50 to 60 pounds works well for them, and they still feel like they're able to pack heavier loads fine when their tag is filled. So I guess long story short, recommended weights and durations, how you scale that. Um, I kind of read specifically into this, the question, do you feel like you have to pack more than 50 to 60 pounds to be ready uh, for season or is packing weights of you know 50 to 60 pounds of max going to be sufficient so yeah there's several things in there uh yeah what's your first thought steve uh did he i didn't catch it if he said an age uh, yeah he did he said he is did he say earlier mid 40s okay. uh mid 40s yep okay so not yeah i think this changes if you're i don't throw a number out there 55 right yeah um so yeah so for me you know i've uh 
I used to do a lot, a lot, a lot of hikes. Basically, I had a, I have like a 70, a couple of pet sandbags are like 70 to 80 pounds. And if I went out for a hike, that's like, I just threw that on. Um, and that was enough weight for me that no matter kind of what I did, I was getting a workout, if that makes sense. Um, like it was, it was just heavy. So just, just the fact of packing that up the hill was a workout. Um, I started to notice just like, you know, I'm 35, uh, just like my hips kind of hurting. Uh, I think it was just hiking so much with heavy weights that, um, I, what I started to do is kind of last year, um, was go down to like 40, 45 pounds, but just do more, um, lunges and just kind of walking, you know, I kind of walk faster. Um, when I walk downhill sometimes, uh, and it, the, honestly, the, <laughs> as I'm saying this, this is all uh, because I'm walking on trail. Um, and, and so when I was walking downhill, you kind of like squat, um, try to hard, hard to almost kind of lunge, but walking downhill, um, it, it's all trying to replicate just walking off trail, right. Where the ground's unstable, one steps lower than the next, you know, you're just kind of bouncing all over. So I think that really, really good training is if he had, it would be put a weighted pack on of that 40 to 50 pounds and just hike off trail. And in that scenario, you know, if you go out and knock out three miles off trail, that's going to be a pretty good workout. So if, if you're doing that, um, you know, a couple days a week, uh, starting in June, you know, two days a week, ramp that up as end of July. I'd like, I think you want to like kind of peak on your training, um, end of July, early August, assuming you're going out in September and then kind of the rest of August, mainly just more or less maintaining, you know, so you're not like really gaining, but you've, you've done all your work in July and then you're just maintaining that into August and then, and that way. September, your, your body's kind of recovered and adapted. Um, I would absolutely, I'd say in August, late July and into August, one day a week, I would go heavy. Um, you know, I don't, I, I would do whatever you think your max is. So if he thinks 80 is the most he ever wants to do, throw 80 pounds in the pack and go knock out three to four miles. If all his other hikes were with, 40 to 50, two to three miles, I would, I'd ramp that up and go heavy. Um, and just get used to, you know, not so much training your muscles in that sense, but there, there are, it's kind of like, you know, when, when a pack gets to a hundred pounds, it's just putting pressure on spots, um, that you do have the ability to kind of build those muscles up. Um, and it's, it'd be kind of like, uh, um, you know, getting your hands tougher, getting your feet tougher. Like if you got a new pair of boots, you need to kind of wear them in and, and get used to them. Um, I think the same thing kind of with your body with a hundred pound pack weight, right? Like if you, you know, no matter how good a shape you're in, um, if you don't wear a hundred pound pack at all, all year round, and then all of a sudden you just slap it on, um, right before you, you know, you kill an animal, you slap it on, and you knock out a five mile pack out, you're going to be kind of sore and tender in spots where, if, you know, prior to that, he was doing just at least one day a week, throwing that heavy weight on and just getting used to how that feels and sits on his body. I think he's going to be better off, way better off when that pack out comes. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, again, for me, I said, I've, uh, um, I, I've just kind of just from wear and tear on joints in my body and stuff like that. I've, I've, I've backed it down to a 40 to 50 pound load. Try to like, uh, I'll, like we were talking about the other day with me testing boots versus shoes, which I've got some cool stuff I'm working on there. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it in one second. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, 
yeah, and then and then just like doing yeah, like I have this one the whole set from from my house to the top of the hill. You know, I can I know I can get there in twenty eight minutes and fifteen seconds, uh, and just trying to like maintain that. So I do think it's um, if you are hiking on trail, absolutely. I was just talking to my wife about this because she's been running and she's like, I don't feel like I'm getting any better. Like it, this, the hill by our house still sucks when I run up it, and I'm like, I guarantee you're getting better. You just don't know it because you're not tracking your time. You're just it still sucks because you're running it faster, right? Yeah. Um, I would highly encourage you off trail. It's, I don't think it's worth tracking cause it's so variable, but if you're hiking like the same trail every day, track that, know that you're making progress. Um, cause it, even though it may not feel like it, you, you are, and that number gives you like a, a sense of confidence that you're moving in the right direction. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, long story short, you can, you can increase time distance or intensity. Um, or sorry, I didn't mean to say time and distance and intensity, weight, distance and intensity. So if you take those three variables, you can scale any one of those and ideally one at a time. So you can go with the same amount of weight for the same distance, but try and do it in a faster time, which is going to change your intensity. You could try and go for the, you know, the same distance as last week, but with more weight, right? Like there, there's all those different variables you can play with. Um, a previous podcast we did pretty in depth on that actually was episode 132, and it was a very scientific look at how to hike heavy um, based on some research that was done by a PhD with the military. And so he talked about scaling those different options. He talked about the importance of that heavy day, then going lighter and longer and all of those pieces. So again, it's not one answer. I think the best training approach is going to be multifaceted. Some days are light and long. Some days are heavy and short. But yeah, what you said, Steve, about just getting accustomed to that heavier weight, even if it is for shorter duration, is going to be really important, not only for your body, but going back to adjusting the pack well, right? Like if you haven't had 80 pounds in your pack, you've only been training with 40 to 50, then you're probably going to learn some things about packing 80 pounds and how you can maybe adjust that and fit it. So um, I would say that in the end, though, you do want to be smart about it. This guy's in his mid 40s and... um, weight takes a toll uh you do enough heavy stuff and yeah it can take a toll so you definitely don't want to shorten your um your abilities there by doing too much too soon or anything like that but yeah i don't know i yeah i see the benefits to what we said steve about the heavy your body getting used to that your pack getting used to that and then i also know of some guys who like this guy was saying they only pack 50 to 60 pounds and when it comes times where they have to pack 80, they can. But I would also say that they've, that's probably because they have done it before. Um, you know, whether that's in a previous season or what have you, like they do have some experience with those increased loads. So if you don't have that yet, get it in the preseason. Um, so it doesn't catch you totally off guard when, when you feel that tack. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I think it's important to whatever you think your max is, at some point train with that right yeah. and how do you know um, what your max is if you don't even get there right like it's easy to right, throw around yeah. numbers um yeah. but yeah almost proving what your max is is going to be helpful yeah i think it's worthwhile exploring and and just knowing how you feel and you know because and yeah um just yeah know that uh, how 80 pounds works for you and, and know that okay you can hike 80 pounds over you know four or five miles um then you're going to be able to handle you know pretty much any elk hind quarter out there um you know maybe some big big ones get heavier than that but i'd say the average is is 80 pounds um so yeah it's uh i'm, I'm all like we've talked about in other episodes i'm all about you know 
doing what you're, you know, training exactly how you're going to do it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you can go to the gym all you want. And if that's all you ever did prior to hunting season, that's only going to get you so far. Like you got to actually put a pack on in there, put, put a pack on and get out and hike. So I would not wait till that that's the opening day. But, um, yeah. So, uh, the whole one pound on your foot, five pounds on your pack, like I, I don't have the complete data yet, but that is like spot on. Um, so when we were talking about my, you start doing your own research here. Yeah. I started my own research. (laughs) Well, I I just kind of stumbled on it. Um, so I had my times hiking the, the, the four miles, um, for my house up, up and back, um, with the boots on. And then I did it with the shoes on. Right. And I was like seven minutes faster. Well, I did it with my shoes on, but my pack was 20 pounds heavier. And to the top of the hill, I was like, it was basically four minutes slower with my shoes on. And that so it was like a two minute gap in between shoes with 45 pounds, boots with 45 pounds and shoes with 60 pounds. Um, and I think it's like the math basically shook out to be exactly um, that for every five pounds is an additional, you know, basically minute. Um, Cause I can hike it like with just shoes on and that 45 pound pack on, I've done the hike like four times now. And every time, it's within like 30 seconds to get to the top of the hill. Like it's pretty ridiculous. The consistency, it's surprising because some days it's like easy, easier than others. You know, like I feel like I'm really dragging ass and going slow, but time I get to the top of the hill, it's like within 20 seconds of the time that, you know, two days prior. So, um, yeah, I think it's like a legit, legit thing. It's, it's kind of surprising, but, um, it's, it's something I was feeling and you look at the, look at the times and the data and it matches up. So I'm going to keep working on it and see if I can have like some actual, you know i'll publish all the data or something on a blog post or something yeah uh yeah it was surprising to me yeah Yeah, it'd be interesting to have other people try and replicate that too but i think the important thing there is you obviously you spend a lot of time hiking and then also consistency in the same routes so there needs to be some familiarity there and not just a guy hike it once change his configuration and hike it again if it's not a hike he has a lot of history with right um but yeah i have a few loops that i do that i have a ton of data on so i might have to play with that as well yeah go back and like look at your data and like the way that the, the times are crazy consistent it's, it's wild so and I, i've never you know working from home being from home here the last couple of weeks uh like i've hiked this hill across the street from my house way more times than i have over the last two years you normally it bounces around right so i'm like i'm not paying attention as much to the times but it's been the main hike i've been doing because it's just you know right out my front door and um, yeah, it's been interesting. So cool. Well, that's a, that's a wrap on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we'll be back with a full show, not a TSS episode tomorrow, but a full show here on Wednesday this week. And then we'll be back on Thursday with another TSS episode. If you guys have any questions, topic ideas, go ahead and send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And as always, thank you for tuning in.